0: Good morning everyone. Uh, Good morning to those who are with us on Zoom and here in person, to those who are visiting. My name is Amy and I'm one of the pastors here and this is the first Sunday in Advent. So the kids have special Advent materials. We have special Advent things to look at and to do. And that word Advent simply means coming or arrival. This is the season where we wait for the arrival of Jesus. We retell the stories, we engage our imaginations, and we wait for Jesus to be born in the manger. We wait for Christmas. That's at least the way we normally think about Advent. But we're also waiting for another arrival. We're waiting for Jesus's second advent, for his second coming. We're waiting for the day that today's gospel reading talked about when we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. We're waiting for the day that the Zechariah reading described, when the Lord will become king over all the earth, when the Lord will be one and his name one. Advent is also about waiting for that arrival, for Jesus to come again. And I confess that for most of my advent observing Anglican life, I haven't paid much attention to that Advent. I've been content with that first arrival, the first Advent, waiting for Jesus to be born. Now, of course, Jesus was already born, so it takes a little bit of imaginative gymnastics to wait for that to happen again, but I like those imaginative gymnastics. I like this Advent. I like anticipating and looking forward to the comfort and the joy and the familiarity of Jesus in the manger. But that second advent is just a different story. It's it's a whole different thing. And that advent when Jesus comes again, it's unfamiliar, it's unknown. If that first advent is all about God coming near, and making himself like us so that we can understand him, that Second Advent is all about God being different and other and holy, incomprehensible. It's a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating to read and to think about. It's even a little bit embarrassing sometimes, the way it gets talked about. And I want to suggest today that that Advent, This weird, scary, incomprehensible second Advent is actually something we desperately need. We need it to remember that we at our core are waiting people. We are people who are waiting right in the middle of that first Advent that already happened and that second Advent that's not yet. We need this because the world is dark and difficult and we are right in the middle of it. And sometimes those imaginative gymnastics and those warm, fuzzy Christmas memories just don't cut it. Sometimes we need something stronger to pull us through. We need something stronger to see us through another verdict in our criminal justice system or to see us through another variant, another mutation on this pandemic that never seems to end. Something to see us through another political battle, another refugee crisis, another dinner around the table with our deeply divided families. We need something stronger. And that stronger something is hope. This season of Advent where we are waiting for Christ's second return that trains us in hope. And the playwright Gabriel Marcel wrote, There can be no hope except when the temptation to despair exists. Hope is the act by which temptation is overcome. We learn hope by facing the darkness all around us and longing for light. Hope is born in the dark in sorrow, in grief, in that temptation to despair. Hope is born in the kind of world that our scriptures for today talk about. These scriptures have nothing to do with that first advent. There are no babies in a manger quite yet. They are all about the second advent, Christ's return. And they need a different kind of language to talk about that advent. Ordinary speech won't cut it because it's beyond what our language can capture. The scriptures that talk about the second coming use the language of apocalypse. We encounter apocalyptic scripture anytime we read the prophets, some of the Psalms, the book of Revelation, and some of Jesus' teachings in his gospels. And we heard apocalyptic language in today's reading from Zechariah and from Luke's Gospel. And when we hear that word apocalypse, we usually kind of think of the end of the world. But in Greek, apocalypse actually just means revelation. Apocalypse is this unveiling of reality. In scripture, it's this writing that reveals something new to us about the reality of God. And because God is so beyond what we can comprehend, so beyond what our language can capture, apocalyptic writing is really strange. It's full of these jarring, unusual, surprising images and metaphors. It's full of poetry. It's full of angels carrying these messages that we never would have expected. It's weird. And it's meant to be. It actually needs to be. And when we read apocalyptic things in scripture, we need to let them stay weird. Apocalypse resists being squeezed down into something we can dissect and categorize and pull out a calendar and a map and sort of say, "Okay, this number represents this thing, and this image represents this thing, and now it's all neat and tidy, and we know what's coming. To look at apocalyptic scripture that way is to miss the whole point, is to miss the revelation. Apocalypse is actually there to show us we can't think and dissect and deduce our way to God. We actually need God's revelation to break in, to come into our world and shake us awake and surprise us and say, it will not always be this way. So the birth of Jesus was an apocalyptic event. Nobody saw it coming. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, and then all of a sudden, this new revelation broke into time and space and humanity and reordered the whole cosmos to do this new thing because God loved us. And the second coming of Jesus is an apocalyptic event, too. So let's spend a couple minutes looking at it in our Zechariah text and our Luke text. Zechariah 14, the passage that Tammy read, describes this day when all the nations of the world come and wage war on Jerusalem, when every home is plundered, every woman is violated. And Zechariah is revealing this world where the ruling powers are just ruthlessly opposed to the kingdom of God where nothing and nobody is safe from violence and exploitation and greed, where even the most intimate spaces and the most vulnerable people are not safe. Zechariah really is showing us this intensified version of the world we already live in. And this is the bleak and dark place where God breaks in with his apocalypse. When God shows up in this passage, his presence splits the Mount of Olives in two and creates this deep rift, and that becomes a valley where his people can flee to safety. And then comes this day when creation gets undone and redone and set right. Reading from verse 6, it says, On that day there shall not be cold nor frost. There shall be continuous day, not day and not night for at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half to the east, half to the west. It will continue in summer as in winter. So on this day, the whole world of winter and night comes to an end. It's like God is rewinding history all the way back to before light was even created, before day and night were separated and we see there is no cold, no frost, no drought, no division between day and night. Darkness, drought, cold, and time, all of the enemies of life, all of the bringers of death, they are all undone and made new. And then we see in their place this land that is just full of plenty and abundance, and life. It's this big remaking of everything familiar into something we can't quite even imagine. And then Jesus talks about this unmaking in his own apocalyptic vision, which we just heard from Luke 21, where he said there will be uh, signs in the stars and in the sun and in the moon and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what's coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then a few verses later, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This apocalypse is deeply unsettling, and it ought to be. The reality of God, when it is revealed to us, ought to unsettle us. It ought to break into what's familiar and shake us awake and stir our imaginations. But as unsettling as it is, this apocalypse also trains us in hope. Earlier, I read that quote that said there can be no hope except where the temptation to despair exists. How hope is the act by which that temptation to despair is overcome. And Jesus puts it a little bit differently in verse 28 when he says, When these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Hope is this defiant act of standing up and raising our heads and believing in redemption right in the middle of all the distress and the pain and the fear of the world. And Jesus reminds us in verse 31, when you see these things taking place, all of these terrifying, horrible things, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I think sometimes we're tempted to think that when life is hard, it must be because we're doing it wrong. But Jesus actually says that when life is hard, the kingdom is near. Your redemption is drawing near. Life is hard because evil still has the world in its grip. Life is hard because the light that came at that first advent hasn't yet fully overcome the darkness at the second advent. And so when we see that life is hard, and it is, it doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. It means we're actually doing exactly what Jesus says to do when he talks about the fig tree. It means we're paying attention. We are looking at the world honestly, with our eyes open, with our ears listening, with our hearts soft. So When we have our eyes open and we are paying attention, Advent actually trains us to hope for God right there, where life is hardest to expect Christ to come right where the world is darkest, just like he said he would. Advent reminds us that hope is practiced in the deepest darkness, in the coldest winter, in the longest night, in division and warfare and fear. Hope is practiced right in the middle of everything that makes us want to give up and despair. Hope lights Advent candles in parking lots and beautifies chain-link fences and sings hymns in the cold and just foolishly, stubbornly, defiantly chooses to live as though right here, our redemption is really drawing near. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for your revelation of yourself. God, would you help us to hope where things feel hard and dark. Amen.